Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. To learn more about Collective, you can follow us on social media at My Collective Church or head to www.mycollective.church. Now here's Sunday's message. In 2006, four friends tired of the monotony of their day-to-day lives decided to create a list of 100 things they wanted to do before they died. In August of that year, they all took off two weeks of work and they set out to cross as many items off their list as possible. And the list included some practical things like drive across North America, learn how to play an instrument, and run a marathon. It also included some less practical things like solve a crime, tell a judge you want the truth, you can't handle the truth, and help deliver a baby. And then the list had some things that seemed impossible, like play basketball with President Barack Obama and go to space. And they called it the buried list. And many of you who are like me, who are in their 30s or maybe late 20s, watched Duncan, Johnny, Ben, and Dave attempt to accomplish this bucket list on a show on MTV called The Buried Life. And I love this show. I've probably seen every episode like four or five times. Uh, And I love the, the question they asked along the way to everyone they met. They would ask, what do you want to do before you die? If nothing was impossible, what would you do? How would you live? But I think we should actually take it a step further because bucket lists are cool, but there's a lack of urgency when you feel like you have your whole life ahead of you. So what if I told you that you only had 25 years left to live? Or how about this? Let's step it up a little bit. What if I told you that you only had 30 years to live in total? And so for those of us who are older than 30, we are on borrowed time. How would that change how you live your life? How would that change how you love your family? How would that change how you approach friendships? How would that change how you handle your money? How would that change how you view your career? How would that change how much time you spend on social media? Right? Would you spend more time scrolling? Would you skip vacations with your family so you could get more work done on the house? Would you spend more time thinking about that hurtful thing that person said to you, even though they aren't an important person in your life? Would you save up as much money as possible so that your bank account had more zeros than everybody else? No. If you only had 25 years left to live, you would spend more quality time with the people you love. You would take in more experiences. You would quit your job and pursue your passion. You would ask the girl out that's way out of your league. You'd be generous. You'd try to spend every dollar or give away every dollar you had. If you only had 25 years left to live, you would do everything you could to live the best life possible, to live life to the fullest, to make the biggest impact that you could. So what if I told you that Collective only had 25 years and 325 days left as a church? What if we knew that Collective had a time limit, that this church wouldn't last forever? And I know that can kind of sound disheartening, but stay with me. A few years ago, I introduced the idea of the sunset clause to this church. And the sunset clause is a clause that puts an end date on something that you don't want to last forever. The idea actually came from Rome back in the day, because when they legislated laws, they put a time limit on them. But today, the sunset clause is becoming a regular part of organizations. And here's why. Peter Drucker, who's known as the father of modern management, found that organizations typically have a span of 30 years of effectiveness. In his influential book, Management, Drucker said, historically, very few businesses are effective for as long as 30 years in a row. 
Now, not all businesses cease to exist when they cease to do well, but the ones who survive beyond 30 years usually enter into a long period of stagnation, and they're rarely able to turn things around to become successful again. And so ultimately, the TLDR is that studies have shown that most businesses have a 30-year arc, and then they die, or they stagnate. Now, Drucker did find that there are exceptions to the rules, like Coca-Cola, but those companies are rare and make up 0.01% of the organizations that exist. Most organizations are blockbuster. Most organizations are Circuit City, Pan Am, MySpace, and they last for about 30 years, then they die or they plateau. And before you try to convince me that MySpace is still a thing, I know that it still exists, but how many of you are actually using MySpace right now? Don't raise your hand. You'll just embarrass yourself. You'll be the only one, okay? Some of you are holding on like, Tom is still my friend. So because of the reality that organizations stop being effective after 30 years, business owners and philanthropists have started saying that they want to make the biggest impact in the shortest amount of time. So instead of hoarding resources and playing it safe, they want to take risks and be bold and use up all their assets within 30 years so they can make the biggest difference possible. They put in a sunset clause. Here's the thing. Do you know how long the average church stays effective? 30 years. After Peter Drucker put out his book, Management, David Olson set out to learn what is the lifespan of the average church. In his book, The American Church in Crisis, Olson collected data from over 200,000 churches and found that at 30 years old, churches stop growing and become stagnant. Then at 40, they start declining. David Olson also found out that the growth rate of churches is highest in their early years. The average church grows 30% in the first year, 29 in the second, 28 in the third, all the way down to 0% growth at year 30. So putting it bluntly, the church as we know it is dying. Only 6% of churches in America are actually growing at a rate that keeps up with population. And 94% of churches in America have plateaued or are declining. This was all before COVID, so you can only imagine that it's worse now. So if Drucker and Olson are right, and 99% of churches stop being effective by year 30, the question that we have to wrestle with at Collective is how do we make the biggest impact in the shortest amount of time? How can we take advantage of the best years of our church, which are the first years, which are the years that we're in right now, And listen, we are not the Coca-Cola of churches. I would love to naively lead this church as if Collective is in the 0.01%, but we can't ignore the data. We can't ignore the fact that we will be lucky as a church to have 30 years of effectiveness. So we have to do everything we can right now to make the biggest impact possible. Because I don't want to be, I don't want Collective to be a church like other churches that hit your 10 or 15 and 20 years old and stop making a difference. I don't want to end up being the church that stops reaching lost people, that stops making an impact in the community, that continues to hold church services just to justify having a building, or because we're too proud to close the doors and say, hey, we had a good run. So in 2018, I told our church that we were putting in a sunset clause at Collective. And every birthday, I'll joke with the staff and leaders of this church that we have one less year. But seriously, what would we do if we knew that Collective only had 25 years and 325 days left? How would that change how we did ministry? How would that change the faith risks we were willing to take? How would that change how we spent our budget? How would that change how we invited people? How would that change our urgency? And so today we're kicking off this series called The Sunset Clause, and we're gonna be focusing on making the biggest impact possible in the shortest amount of time. And this series is a generosity 
series. And I think it's pretty fitting that we're kicking this series off today on Halloween because a lot of you feel that there's nothing scarier than churches talking about money. But while it is a generosity series, this is really a faith series because faith requires action. I heard one pastor say it like this, faith is what I believe shown by what I do. We live out our faith by getting baptized. We live out our faith by reading our Bible. We live out our faith by submitting to our spouse. We live out our faith by inviting people to church. We live out our faith through generosity. And I get it, like some of you are stressed out right now, but before you tighten up and cross your arms, here's what I want you to know. The goal of this series is not to make you feel guilty or shame you or pressure you to give. And if you end up feeling that way, you're probably just projecting, and I'm just being honest. Because you can ask people who've been around this church for a little while, and they'll tell you that is not how we roll when it comes to money. With that being said, giving is something that I plan to teach on every year. I just didn't do it in 2020. And the reason why I didn't do it last year is because it didn't feel right. Because so many of you lost jobs, you had your hours cut, or had bills pop up that you weren't expecting because of COVID. But giving is such an important part of our faith, so we have to talk about it. Plus, generosity is one of the most talked about topics in the Bible. Jesus emphasized money in 11 of his 39 parables. One out of every seven verses of Jesus' words talk about money or use money as an illustration, and it's one of the main themes in the book of Proverbs. And there's a lot of reasons we should talk about giving. Research shows that generosity can make us live longer. A new 2020 study published by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found that there is a linear relationship between how much and how often you give and how long you live. The National Bureau of Economic Research found that generosity directly impacts the happiness and well-being of the giver, regardless of the giver's income. And another study by the University of Indiana found that generosity makes you seem hotter. You heard that, right? Indiana University, uh, University did a study that found that people who are generous are perceived as more attractive. And so some of you single guys and girls that are here maybe spend a little bit less time on dating apps and more time being generous. I'm just saying it'll probably work out well for you. So I'm going to tell you all up front that the goal of this series is for every person at Collective to grow in their generosity. It's that simple. And over the next three weeks, we're actually going to give a different generosity challenge every Sunday, culminating in week three, where we're going to challenge you to tithe. And this series is going to be a great reminder for those of you who currently give that you're following Jesus as one of the core and one of the hardest areas in your life. For those of you who are brand new to Collective or following Jesus, you're going to see how Jesus wants you to grow, and it's going to be one of those bold next steps that you can consider taking. And it will be hard, but Jesus asks us to do hard things, and this is a practical step for you to continue to submit to him. And for those of you who don't follow Jesus yet, we never want Jesus to be a bait and switch. We don't want you to be here when we talk about grace and mercy and unconditional love, and then after you decide to follow him, we say, hey, here's all this hard stuff. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, really this series for you is kind of seeing behind the curtain. It's seeing what Jesus is asking and what he says when it comes to generosity and money. Also, here's what this series is not. This series is not going to be me telling you that money is evil. Some of you have heard the phrase, money is the root of all evil, and that's actually a misquote from Scripture. Here's what Paul really says in the Bible in 1 Timothy. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Money isn't evil, but loving money is. Worshiping money, making money your God, putting your trust in money. That is the root of all kinds of evil and will pull you away from true faith, which is why this is really a faith series. 
Also, this series is not my pass- me passively, aggressively telling you that Collective is struggling financially. We can pay our bills and we can keep our lights on. And that's because so many people in this church are generous. It's also because my staff has done an incredible job over the past two years spending way under their budgets. Unlike most churches, we finished in the black in 2020. And even with adding rent to this building and to the budget this year, we're projected to finish in the black this year as well. So please know that the baseline of this series is generosity as an output of faith, because faith is what I believe shown by what I do, and giving has to be a part of that. So today, we're going to be focusing on this idea of generosity. And there are three things from Scripture that I want to point out. And so here's the first thing. If you're writing your notes down, if you have your journal with you, here's what I want you to write down. Generosity is a heart issue. Generosity is a heart issue. Check out what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And we know this is true, right? We care more about the things that we spend our money on than the things that we haven't. My first car was a 1991 Chevy Cavalier. It was a powder blue. Uh, it kind of looked like this. Um, it was like all metal and a little bit of bumper there. It was gifted to me by my mom. And while I was very appreciative to have a car to drive, I did not treat it very well. Sorry, mom. Uh, for example, the car didn't have a CD player. So I had a friend help me install one. And we did such a bad job that you actually had to turn on the windshield wipers for power to go to the radio. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, And I drove that car into the ground. One time it broke down on the highway and I just left it there for a while. Um, I didn't get oil changes like I needed to. It got hit by a deer once, deer just ran right into the side, didn't get it fixed because my heart was not with that car. But then before I went to college, I bought a 1994 Dodge Ram. It kind of looked like that. Uh, And I treated this truck like it was brand new. It was 10 years old at the time. I washed it. I vacuumed it on a regular basis. I never left trash in it. I paid someone to install a custom sound system. When it broke down, I towed it and paid way too much money to get it fixed multiple times. Oh, and the thing about the truck is it didn't actually look this good. It was peeling and rusting all over. Uh, It kind of looked like the pictures back here. Uh, It was an ugly, ugly truck. It was a terrible vehicle, but it was my terrible vehicle. My heart was with that truck because that's where my money went. And I loved her a lot more than I should have. And so we know what Jesus is saying is true. If you put our money into something, we care about it. Our car, our house, a ring, Bitcoin, right? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will also be. And here's the thing. There's nothing else that Jesus says this is true of. Jesus doesn't say where your time is, that's where your heart is. Jesus doesn't say what you talk about the most, that's where your heart is. Jesus doesn't say what you click like on the most on social media, that's where your heart is. He doesn't say where you want your heart to be, that's where your heart will be. He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And you know what business we're in at Collective. We're in the business of changing people's hearts. And this is one of the reasons why we have to talk about money. You all have heard this before, and this isn't news to you. Most divorces blame money as the primary factor. And we know beneath that, it's usually humility and communication, but money brings it out. Debt has been a common factor in suicide and depression. And a recent poll of Americans of all age, including students, money is the number one cause of stress, even more than work, politics, and family. Right? Money is a big deal. And if we are putting our money into the wrong things, our heart will follow, and that will ultimately lead to pain. And this is really important. 
Your heart follows your money. Your money doesn't follow your heart. It's money, then heart. And so if you want to change your heart, you need to change where your money goes. And for me, I want my heart to be for people who are far from God. I want my heart to be for people whose marriages need restoration. I want my heart to be for people who are fighting to break addictions. I want my heart to be for people who need hope, for people who need to experience grace. And if that is true, that's where I have to put my money. And if you are someone who says you follow Jesus and you say your heart is for the things of God, but your money is in other places, I'm not sure that's true. And I know you feel like I'm stepping on your toes a little bit, but I'm not saying this. Jesus is. Jesus says, where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. And so generosity is a heart issue. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Generosity is a choice. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God doesn't want you to give out of guilt. God doesn't want you to give out of emotional pressure. God doesn't want you to give begrudgingly. God wants you to choose to give and to choose to do so cheerfully. Since we moved into this building in March, some of you have come up to me on Sunday and asked me how you can give at Collective because we don't take up an offering on Sundays. Uh, so for those of you who don't typically go to church, most church services have a special time, special time, uh, where you have to awkwardly pass baskets down the rows and make eye contact or avoid eye contact with people. And the band will play really softly underneath and the pastor will try to inspire you, but ultimately try to guilt you to give. And when Collective first launched, we used to pass these gray baskets every Sunday so people could give, and I hated it. And the reason I hated it was because I felt like people were giving to collective because we were asking them to, not because they wanted to. And as the leader of this church, I felt like I was creating opportunities for bad spiritual practices because people were giving because we reminded them to, not because they had a discipline of generosity. It was kind of like a Pavlov's dog scenario, offering baskets equal giving. So that's not what I wanted, and it's not what we want to do to create space for people to own their growth. So in the fall of 2018, way before COVID, we stopped passing offering on Sundays, and I have zero regrets, and I know you have zero regrets too, right? And I know that if we passed an offering basket every week, our offering would go up because you would feel guilty and you'd throw some money in there, but generosity is a choice, and we want you to make the decision for yourself, and we want this to be something you do cheerfully, not because there's a basket in front of you. Now, if you do want to give, there's two ways that we let you do that at Collective. There are gray baskets at the double doors on the way out, or you can give through the app, QR code, or website. That's it. And I know that makes it a little bit more complicated, but that's the point, because generosity is a choice. It's a choice that we want you to make. Here's the third thing about generosity for today. Generosity is about impact. Paul says in the book of Acts, he says this, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Right? And the word blessed just means happier. Jesus teaches us that we will be happier giving than we will be receiving. And this isn't Jesus' way of saying that if you give, you'll be blessed financially or that your happiness is gonna come in the form of a bag full of money. This isn't the prosperity gospel. Jesus is saying giving will bring you more joy than what receiving brings. That giving will bring you more contentment. That giving will bring you more hope. But generosity is about making an impact. Generosity is about making a difference in your church and in your community. Generosity is about others. Generosity is about taking what God has given you and using it to bless other people. 
Earlier this year in April, I got an email saying that Collective had been nominated as one of Outreach, 100, or Outreach, Outreach Magazine's Top 100 Reproducing Churches in 2021. And this list is comprised of churches all over the nation that focus on and invest in kingdom growth through church planting. And we do that. We are a church planting church. We, I coach church planters. We host church planters at Collective and try to show them how to do church well. And we give financially to church planting. But they were talking to hundreds of churches, and I was very confident that we wouldn't make the list because we are such a young church. And so I got interviewed a few times to see if we fit the criteria, which was pretty strict. But then I didn't hear from them again. And so I assumed we didn't make the list, and I was okay with that. Then a few weeks ago, John, our worship director, walked in with a copy of Outreach Magazine's Top 100 Producing Churches list for 2021, and so I told him to throw it away. And right before he did, I actually grabbed the magazine just to see who did make the list, because I wasn't actually okay with it. Uh, you know. Um, but then I saw this. This is us, right here. And here's why I share this. This is not about me. This is about you. We are on this list because of you. We are on this list because since the start of Collective, we've given over $130,000 to church planting. And that doesn't happen without your generosity. It doesn't. Because generosity is about impact. And there are people who don't know you, who don't know me, who don't know Collective, who li whose lives have been changed forever because churches started in their cities and they experienced Jesus for the first time. They experienced community that's authentic. They experienced endless second chances. They experienced hope. And so sometimes when we talk about making an impact, we talk about joining the team or serving on Sunday mornings, or we'll talk about being a part of the events that we do where we collect a ton of food for our community. But you know what the biggest part probably is? It's what we do with our money. Because without generosity, we cannot do the things that God has asked us to do. So like I said earlier, each week we'll have a different generosity challenge. And so here's today. And no, it is not to give. Uh, honestly, I don't, if you do not give to Collective, I do not want you to give today. I want you to actually walk away today and pray about what generosity looks like in your own life. But I do not expect today to be the first time that you give. Here's the generosity challenge for this week. As you know, today is Halloween. And so one of the simple ways that you can choose generosity today is to be generous tonight with trick-or-treaters. And I'm being very serious. I want you all to hand out the biggest candy bars. I want you to hand out the most candy. I want you to hand out the best candy. I want Collective to be the church that is the most generous in their neighborhoods. Right? This is why we're doing the candy crawl after both services today instead of tonight or sometime earlier in the weekend like other organizations have done. Yes, this is for fun and because Halloween fell on a Sunday and we don't know when it's gonna happen again. Maybe six years, maybe we'll skip it. But it's because what we really want you to do today is be generous with your neighbors to make an impact. Don't hand out Tootsie Rolls. Listen, if you bought Tootsie Rolls, you need to go to CVS after service today. Don't hand out candy corn. Those are trash candies, okay? <laughs> All this stuff on social media, people are like, I like candy corn. No, you don't. You just like being different, okay? You don't like that. Hand out the good stuff, Reese's, Reese's miniatures, Reese's pumpkins, Reese's pieces, pretty much anything Reese's. You can throw in a Kit Kat if you want, but hand out good candy tonight. Right? When I was a kid, I had a neighbor that would hand out Virginia lottery pencils every year. Don't be that person. I'm 35. I still resent him, okay? If he had ever invited me to church, I would have said no, because I don't want to go to a church with someone who hands out pencils instead of candy. 
And so your generosity challenge today is to be a good neighbor. Be the generous neighbor. And this doesn't matter if you follow Jesus or not. We want you to choose generosity tonight. That is the challenge. Here's the last thing I want to say about generosity today. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. The reason why we give so that we can make an impact, so that other people's lives can be changed, is because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus gave. Check this out in John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Some translations will even say, for God loved the world so much that he gave. 1 Timothy 2 says this, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, which means bring them together, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Christ gave his life and purchased our freedom so we could experience something better, so we could experience life to the fullest. And because of that, I want to be a generous person. I want to be a godly person. I want to trust Jesus as my Lord, my leader, and my Savior. And that is what we want for you as well. And the truth is, some of you haven't actually accepted that gift of grace that Jesus is offering. And we want, what we want more than anything else is for you to say yes to that. Because for some of you, the last thing on your mind right now is money because your life is falling apart. Your marriage is falling apart. Your family is falling apart. And that's why you need Jesus. So for you, today isn't about money. It's about what God has offered you. The most generous gift ever given was when Jesus chose to go to the cross to be crucified so that every person who believes in him could have their sins forgiven and they could experience the life that he has to offer them. And so if that is what you want, if that is what you came here looking for today, here's what we need you to do. We want you to check the baptism box on the digital connection card or head to Next Steps and talk to somebody about what does it look like to take your actions, take your feelings, take your heart, and move them toward Jesus. Let's go back to the idea of the sunset clause. We're gonna talk about this over the next few weeks. If we had 25 years and 325 days left to be effective as a church, how would that change how we approach generosity? Not just as individuals, but also as a church. How would that change how I lead this church? Because how much bigger of an impact could we make? How many more churches could we start? How many more lives could we see committed to Jesus? How many more pounds of food could we give away? How much more medical debt could we help pay off? How many more relationships could we see restored? If we knew that we only had 25 years left to make the biggest impact possible, what else would we do? And so the challenge for this series is for us to make the biggest impact we can on our city, is to make the biggest impact we can on our neighborhoods, and for us to make the biggest impact we can in the world. Let's pray. God, um, I don't know if there's a topic that we hate more than money, um, giving and generosity. And, um, but God, at the root of it, there's this truth that we understand or that at least we've heard or maybe we hold on to, um, that generosity started with you. God, not in the form of, of dollar bills, but in the form of sending your son so that we could experience something better. God, so that we could experience renewal, so that we could experience new life, so that we could experience grace, so that we could experience hope, so that we could experience joy. And God, ultimately, so many of us have accepted that gift, have said yes to that. 
God, it's our turn to feel the burden to bring that to our city. God, so help us be a church that doesn't plateau, God, that doesn't peak a few years in and, and slowly ride that wave for 20, 30, 40 years. But God, help us always be the church that's making an impact. God, help us always be the church that's taking risks. God, help us always be a church that's generous. Help us always be a church that is seeing life change in this church and in our city. God, we don't want to last forever just to say the church lasted forever if it means we're not actually doing anything. So help us make an impact. Help us figure out how to do that in our city. Help us be generous. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.